Welcome to Slate Church. We are so glad that you're tuning in today and pray that wherever you are, this message will bless you. If this impacts you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. We good church? We all right? Hey, what a great day it is to be in church. I, I don't know about you, but I think it's so incredible to come in here on a Sunday morning in this atmosphere of faith and really just lift up the name of Jesus together and worship him. It's an amazing thing that we get to do this week in and week out. One that I, I hope as a church we never take for granted, that we would never take for granted that we get to come in here like this. We get to lift up the name of Jesus. It really is an absolutely incredible thing, and we're so glad that you've joined us here this morning for church at our 9 o'clock service. Um, I know it's our first of five services today, and uh, I, I think that there's something so great, actually, about the 9 o'clock service, uh, because I think it's, it's where uh, we really see the beginning of what God is going to do for the rest of the day. And I love that our church is growing, it's thriving, it's incredible that we get to have five services. It's, it really is an unbelievable thing. Um, across three locations, by the way. It's amazing. Um, but I'm really excited about what God is going to do right here and right now. You know, God is not uh, saying, well, I'm going to hold back my best until the 6.30 service this evening. Right? They're, they're, that's not at all what God is thinking. But God actually wants to pour himself out into this place right now here at the 9 o'clock service. And we don't have to think like, oh, maybe God will do something at another time. But I think we need to come in here and actually have an expectation that God is going to and wants to move right now and right here in this service. And so I, I say it all the time, but I really do want to encourage us this morning to really lean in to what God has for us today because I, I think that he's going to speak to us. And I don't think he's just going to speak to our head, but I think he's actually going to speak to our heart. And that's my desire is actually to communicate to you uh, God's word today, not just to convey information to you, but actually to, to speak God's word to you, and that it wouldn't just be my words that are being spoken, but it would be God's word that is being spoken. And because his word actually has the power to transform and bring lasting life change. And so I'm excited to be able to speak this word to you, and I hope that you're ready to receive it. You're ready to take notes this morning, and uh, you're ready to jump in. And that's exactly what we're going to do right now as we turn in our Bibles to Psalm 119, verse 112. I'm going to read just one, like, extremely short verse, and we're going to read a whole bunch more scripture a little bit later. But this verse is going to sort of set up a little bit what we're going to be talking about. And um, if you don't have it, you can follow along on the screen beside me, whichever one is best for you. <laughs> and, uh, but honestly, it takes like two seconds to read. So here we go. Uh, it says this, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. And that's a different version but it works just as well. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. And I think that this is actually such a powerful thing that we're going to get into and find out what this means for us today. And if you're taking notes this morning, why don't you go ahead and write down this title. The title for this morning's sermon is, What Do You Desire? Go ahead and write that down. What do you desire? Why don't we pray and we're going to jump into it, all right? Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. We thank you, Lord, that when we come in here, we're not just gathering just as a group of individuals, gathering around nothing, but we're actually gathering around your name. 
and we just pray that you would speak to us today. We pray that we would experience you and your presence. We pray that we would leave this place differently than the way that we came in after having encountered you and your Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus, and everybody said amen, amen. Well, in between my second and third year of Bible college, um, I'll never forget, in my second year, uh, Victoria and I, we started dating. And we did Bible college in Sydney, Australia. And that meant that at Christmas time was also summertime. It was flipped back there or down there. And it was kind of reversed. And, and uh, it meant that we had our summer break over Christmas. And I'll never forget, Victoria and I, we finally, we had just started dating. It was wonderful. We had dated just for a little bit. And then next thing you know, we have this summer break, Christmas break happen. And I come back here to Canada, and she goes all the way over to Sweden. And so we had this, this time where we were apart from one another. We had this time where we, we, we didn't see one another. And I'll tell you, over that Christmas break, the only thing that my heart desired was to see Victoria again, okay? Anybody who's had any kind of long-distance relationship knows what I'm talking about, right? Can I get an amen? Come on, praise God. Lots of long-distance relationships, okay? And, and, and I'll never forget, like, I just desired, like, I just wanted to see her. And, you know, thank God for Skype. We would Skype every day. And so I was able to still stay in touch with her, and it was wonderful. But finally the day came. I was counting down the days to when I was going to fly back to Australia, and I was going to finally see Victoria again. And it was going to be awesome, and it's just what I was desiring to do. And uh, Victoria was landing in Australia a couple of days before I was, and I th this was perfect, right? Because um, uh, it, it, I, and basically it meant that Victoria was going to go to my house, and she was going to pick up my car, and she was going to drive to the airport and pick me up at the airport, and we were going to go home. It was going to be wonderful. And so I'll never forget flying in to Australia, and uh, after like a million hours flying, okay, it's like the worst thing ever, flying for so, so long, uh, you know, you're, you're just angry, you're annoyed, you stink, you need a shower, it's terrible, you get off the airplane, you get through customs, finally, and again, the desire was so real, I was so excited to walk out through customs into the lobby of the airport, and there was Victoria waiting for me, and uh, I was expecting, like, the, the whole shebang, okay, like, I was expecting, like, balloons, maybe, a welcoming committee, maybe a big welcome sign to welcome me, something like that, and uh, I walked out into the airport lobby, and I was so excited to be able to see Victoria, I, I got out there, and there was no Victoria in sight, okay, she wasn't anywhere. In fact, there was nobody anywhere. And I was like, this is really depressing, okay? Like, I've just been on this plane forever. There's nobody here. What's, what's going on? And I started to get a little bit worried. Like, I, I hope nothing has happened to Victoria when she was supposed to come and get me. And so I called her, and it turned out that uh, she couldn't quite figure out how to get to the airport. So she was not confident in driving on the other side of the road, on the other side of the car, remember. And I had, like, the worst car you could ever imagine, and she couldn't drive it, and she was so frustrating, and all this kind of stuff, so she decided she wasn't going to come and get me at the airport, and so here I am, stranded all by myself in the airport, and I call Victoria, I'm like, what's going on, uh, where are you, she's like, I couldn't do it, she was like, honestly, like, crying on the other end of the phone, and it didn't matter, I, I, who cares, because at least now we were in the same country, right, and I desired to see her, it was like, I, I just needed to, and so, okay, fine, no problem, I'll hop on a train. And so I went to the train station in the airport, took a train to this other main station, then took a train, like just adding more hours on the millions of hours I've already been traveling. And so took the train to the train station that was closer to where we lived. And Victoria said, well, I know how to get there, so I'll come pick you up there. 
And so I get to the train station. Finally, my desire is just overwhelming. I go out expecting to see Victoria and balloons and all of these other types of things. And I walk out, and there's nobody there. And so the process has repeated itself. And I don't know where she is, and I'm wondering what in the world is going on. And I'm calling her, and she's not picking up her phone. And I'm like, this is very strange. And finally, I see over the hill my poor little car just kind of chugging along, just barely making it up over the hill. And it's like, you know, like jerking back and forth, and it's uh, stalling out and all this kind of stuff. And finally, Victoria is able to pull this thing up to the train station. I see her beautiful uh, reunion. It was amazing. Uh, I was so thankful to see her. It was great. Sat in the car, and the whole car is about to explode. There's no coolant in it at all. It's smoking out of the engine. The temperature gauge is all the way in the red. I was just like, thank God you didn't drive all the way to the airport to try and get me. And it just would have, like, the car would have exploded on you. Bye-bye, Victoria. That would have been, the, like, the end of it or something. I, I don't know. But it didn't matter at that moment because my desire was so strong. All I wanted was to see Victoria and be with Victoria. And we got in the car and we went and we bought coolant. It was okay. But it's so funny how powerful desire is in our lives. And so often desire... It causes us to do things that maybe we don't quite understand. It causes us to uh, do some pretty unbelievable things, to be quite honest. And, and, and I think that we need to ask ourselves the question that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, what is it that we actually desire? I, I wonder, do, does our desire for Christ cause us to live in perhaps an unbelievable way? Does our desire... Uh, for relationship with Jesus, uh, does it drive us, does it, does it cause us to pursue him no matter what we're doing? You know, I think back and my desire to see Victoria was so strong that it's like no matter what was getting in my way, I was not going to let it stop me from getting to her, right? No matter what, I, her not being there at the airport or the train, it didn't matter. The trains could have been canceled for the day. I would have found a way to get to her. My desire was so strong. But I think back on this, and it sort of convicts me a little bit, because I have to ask myself, is my desire that strong to be in the presence of Christ? Is my desire that strong that, you know, everything could be going wrong in my life, everything could block my way from getting to church? Would I still have the desire, even if I had to walk uh, 100 miles to get to church, would I still be willing to do it? Would I still be willing to go the distance, to do whatever it takes to get myself into the presence of Jesus Christ? And it's something that is important that we ask ourselves. You know, I love the verse that we read at the beginning of this message where the psalmist writes, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I love that last part, forever to the end. I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of person who lives a life that desires to have a faith that lasts to the end. You know, I desire that my life would be a statement, that my life would be a stake in the ground that says Jesus forever to the end, that I would have this kind of faith. And the psalmist also says, I incline my heart. Notice, I incline my heart. I think this is important because how many people here know that real and lasting change in your life actually begins in your heart? You know, you can't just change your behavior, but you actually have to change your belief if you want to see change in life. It has to happen within. You know, if you just change your behavior but not the belief that drives that behavior, then the change won't actually last and the change won't actually stay. It's why so many people, you know, start a, a new habit or a New Year's resolution or something like that, and they change a behavior in their life, 
but they fail to actually change the belief that drives that behavior in their life. And maybe the change lasts for a couple of months or something like that. But inevitably, it fades away because the belief has not actually changed. And so the psalmist says, I incline my heart, my heart. And note the use of the word incline. You know, I love this word incline because it's an action word. You know, if you incline something, it, it, it means that it wasn't naturally in that position before. It, it takes desire to put something in an inclined state. If you don't desire it, you won't do it because it takes effort to incline something that was otherwise declined. It takes effort to incline an attitude that perhaps over the years has declined into a negative state. It takes effort to incline your level of faith towards God that has otherwise been in a declined state for so long. You know, the biggest problem in our lives is not even that we necessarily live our lives in a declined state, but sometimes we live our lives in a reclined state where actually we just sort of wake up and whatever happens to us is what happens to us, and this is my attitude, and I'm just reclined, and I'm not moving, I'm relaxed, I'm comfortable here, and I don't feel like doing anything else. I don't feel like getting out of this position. But the psalmist said, I'm taking action. I incline my heart. I'm setting my heart in the direction of heaven. I wonder, is your heart set in a divine direction this morning? To what is your heart inclined? Or are you here and perhaps your heart is declined? Or maybe you're here and you're living a life that's reclined. I don't know what it is. But I want to encourage you that today is the day where you can actually incline. You can point your heart heavenward. You can point your heart towards who God is and what he has for you. But you need to take action. And the actions begin when it comes to your desire. What is it that your heart desires in this life? Does your heart desire fame? Does your heart just desire money or a job or a promotion? Does your heart desire status? Does it desire uh, a relationship, uh, a, a family, a fresh start, a new car, a house? Does your heart desire forgiveness or restoration? What is your heart inclined towards this morning? What is that? Is your heart inclined towards just, you know, the good old days and what was? Uh, or, or is your heart inclined towards, does your heart desire what Philippians 3.14 says? Does it desire the upward call of God on your life? Because God has more for you. And we really need to pursue this upward call of God on our lives. Not the upward call that we try and set for ourselves. Because that is going to leave us wanting. But we need to pursue the upward call of God on our lives. We need to incline our hearts, set our hearts, point our hearts heavenward towards what God has for us. We need to desire him above all else in our lives. Is our heart inclined towards heaven? The NLT translation of the same verse that we've read says, I'm determined to keep your decrees to the very end. It's my prayer here this morning that we would be determined as Slate Church to live the words of Colossians 3.2 that says, uh, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. We need to set our mind on things that are above and that we would desire, as First Chronicles 22.19 says, that we would set our heart to seek the Lord. These are the lives that we need to live. We need to incline our hearts. We need to set our hearts to seek the Lord our God on all occasions and all things. But the question is, how do we actually do that today? <laughs> how, do we, how do we set our hearts? What do we have to actually prioritize? What do we have to desire in our lives if we want to live a life where our heart is actually inclined heavenward, where we want to actually live in such a way that we glorify God with who we are? And I think that there are some things that we need to prioritize in our lives. Some desires that we must prioritize if we would want to live our, our lives in such a way that our hearts are inclined heavenward. And the first 
desire that we must prioritize is this. We need to desire intimacy over knowledge. All right, we need to desire intimacy over knowledge. Intimacy is a really important thing in our lives. And we all desire intimacy in one form or another. Uh, many uh, people desire intimacy when it comes to friendships, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to family relationships, all that kind of stuff. I'll never forget when I first moved to Sweden. Um, it was kind of a weird thing because I didn't really have that many intimate relationships with people there. I had the intimate relationship um, in the context of my marriage with Victoria, and that was fantastic. But otherwise, there was nobody in the entire country who knew who I was before the age of 18. Not a single person. Nobody had any kind of history on me. And, of course, we all know that you can't make new old friends, right? And so it was kind of a strange thing to get there and to realize, like, I don't have that many intimate relationships with people. And if I want to get these intimate relationships with people, it's probably going to take a little bit of work and a little bit of intention on my end. And so I'll never forget, early on, I was hanging out with a group of um, Swedish guys. I know Victoria's brother, Robert, was there, and we are hanging out with some, with some friends. And again, I didn't really know these guys really at all. I was just getting to know who they were. And um, we were, I was just taking along with them, and we were going to a Swedish sauna, all right? And so we went to the sauna, and uh, uh, I, took my, you know, I took my bathing suit, took my towel, went into the sauna, and very quickly realized that Swedes go in the sauna au naturel, okay? It's a little bit different in Sweden. And so all of a sudden I realized, oh, this is a pretty intimate experience right now. Very quickly, I had five very intimate friends in my life, and uh, it, was, it was pretty fantastic. But it, it's funny how we, we desire this intimacy in life, perhaps not the kind of intimacy like Swedish sauna experience intimacy, I, I don't know. But we desire closeness with others. We desire intimacy with others. And, and we, we need to desire this closeness and this intimacy with God as well. We need to desire intimacy with God over just a knowledge of God. You know, sometimes we confuse these two things and we think that knowledge is equal to intimacy, but it's not. Something that too many Christians believe is that nearness to God can actually be attained by accumulating knowledge about him. And of course, to a point, it's important that we acquire knowledge. We need a knowledge about who Jesus is. We need a knowledge about scripture. We need a knowledge about the things that Jesus said. That's not a bad thing at all. But really, never in the history of the church has so much theological knowledge been available to us as what it is right now. Never have we had so many translations of the Bible and commentaries and fantastic sermons and blog posts and articles online and all of these different things. I mean, you name it, you can find it on your phone within two minutes. You can find answers. You can find knowledge. Knowledge is so accessible. It's widespread like crazy. And that's awesome. We should celebrate that fact. I love that I can pick up my phone and I can, you know, just w within a minute, just dive into a commentary uh, on any book in the Bible. I think it's incredible that we're able to find these things and, and engage with these differing perspectives and all these different kinds of things. It's amazing that we get to do this. But even though we are overwhelmed, really, with uh, an ability to access knowledge about God and Scripture, that in itself does not automatically equal more people who are trusting God and who are actually in relationship with Him. See, if all that we needed was knowledge of God to grow in our intimacy with Him, then we would all be having the most incredible intimate relationships with God, and people all over the world would, more people than ever before, because it's so easy to just access knowledge about Him. But knowledge, it does not automatically equal intimacy. It just doesn't. But instead, we need to desire to know God in a more intimate way 
in our lives. And that's because, again, knowledge and intimacy, they're two different things. And that's why Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day who were filled with knowledge about Scripture and the Bible, more than anyone else, he told them, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You know, Jesus is saying to these guys, hey, look, I'm right here. You, you know, it doesn't mean that the Bible's bad. Of course it's not. It's God's word. We need to read it. But we need to make sure that we don't desire just to read books or commentaries about Jesus, but not actually desire to spend any time with him in his presence. Let's not just gain head knowledge, but let's actually gain heart nearness to Jesus. We need to do that. Praise God, I got this section of the church with me this morning. Maybe by point three, we'll have the whole section. I don't know. But please understand, again, biblical knowledge is valuable. And it's amazing to read scripture. It's wonderful to read books uh, and gain a deeper knowledge of who Jesus is. I do this on a daily basis. There's not a day that goes by where I don't read something and, and try and, you know, get more knowledge. But it's made such a difference in my life to, to read and to gain more knowledge uh, about God and about Jesus, but it's made the difference because it fuels my trust in God, which in turn fuels my intimacy with God. But if biblical knowledge tries to replace our trust in God, then it only actually fuels our pride. That's why we have so many people, so many Christians, and you know, if you were to get into a theological argument, they could just dismantle you in two seconds, right? They've got all this knowledge uh, about the Bible. They've got all this knowledge about the history of everything and, and whatever, and that's awesome. But it has, to be, it has to be connected to a trust in and an intimacy with Christ. Otherwise, what we have is a whole bunch of Christians who are just out on, you know, message boards and armchair experts. And they're just like, you know, uh, arguing with people on YouTube comments and stuff like that. And all that they care about is winning a knowledge argument. They don't actually care about winning people to Jesus Christ because they themselves do not have intimacy with Christ and haven't perhaps had a revelation of the true life-changing experience that happens when we know who Jesus truly is in our hearts and not just in our minds. See, we need to actually pursue intimacy with Christ and not just knowledge. You know, intimacy with God is available to you today. It really is. It, it's that experience of knowing him and being known by him. And very often we use like um, physical and spatial language to describe intimacy, don't we? You know, so often we, we say things like, oh, I'm very close to that person. You know, or if, uh, or if we're not in an intimate relationship, well, I'm very distant from that person. If something damages intimacy, it's like, oh, I feel distant from that person now. But of course we know that intimacy is not just spatial, but it's actually relational, right? I mean, we all know what it's like to be sitting physically close to another person, and you can be sitting close to somebody, but it doesn't mean that you have an intimate relationship with them. I mean, there's many of us in here right now, and you're probably sitting beside somebody who maybe you don't even know who they are. And your physical proximity to that person does not automatically equate to intimate relationship with them. It just doesn't. Whereas, you know, we can have relationship uh, with people on the other side of the world, and although we're not physically close to them, we have an intimate relationship with that person. I mean, Victoria's family lives on, in Sweden on the other side of the world, and we are not physically in close proximity to them, yet we still are in close, intimate relationship with them on a daily basis. And, and that's because, again, proximity doesn't automatically equal intimacy either, and and we need to understand that, that it's all about actually relationship. And we have to desire this intimacy over knowledge. But what is it that, again, actually allows us to experience intimacy with another person? And how, how could we have intimacy with God in our lives? 
Well, as I've been saying, intimacy is actually all about trust. We can't be intimate with another person unless we're willing to trust that other person. And we can't have an intimate relationship with Christ if we're not willing to trust him. Because trust is at the heart of intimacy. And the more that we trust somebody, the closer that we actually get to them. And, but we got to understand that trust is not just a statement, but trust is actually a step. Trust is something that actually takes action. We can't just claim to trust somebody if we're not willing to put some action to it in our lives. Trust is a step that says, all right, God, I'm willing to get a little bit uncomfortable. I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to go to the place and do the thing that you're calling me to do. I'm willing to trust you in this God, I don't know the direction, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust that you will see me through. And as we take these steps of trust, we develop a deeper intimacy with Christ. And this is true with our relationship with God, and it's true with our relationships with one another. In fact, I would say that the quality of our relationships with one another as human beings is directly impacted by our level of intimacy with God. You know, our experience of God's closeness in our lives, again, it's not a description of his proximity to us, but it references our level of uh, of experience and intimacy with him. And scripture shows us that as we trust God, that we will gain intimacy with him. That the more we trust him, the more intimate we will become with our relationship with Jesus. You know, it's it's the reason why, you know, sometimes somebody could uh, come to church and one person can come to church and they can have an incredible God encounter. You know, they just experience the presence of God. And another person can come in the exact same church service and feel like God is a million miles away. <laughs> so it's like, what's going on here? Is God actually a million miles away? No. God is everywhere. He is here with us. It's not God that's distant. It's us that distance ourselves from God. And when we come in with a low level of trust or a low level of expectation for what God can do, uh, we are actually distancing ourselves from the presence of God, even though we are in close proximity to God's presence, we are distancing ourselves on an intimate and spiritual level from what God has for us. Psalm seventy-three twenty-eight says, for me, it is good to be near God. I love that. We need to have that in our lives every single day. We need to live our lives understanding it's good for us to be near God. I'm not just physically, but actually spiritually near to God. And we need to listen to the words of James as he writes in 4 verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We need to desire to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. We need to seek his face. We need to develop a personal and intimate uh, relationship with him. We need to incline our heart towards him. And we need to desire him more than anything else in our lives. And we need to watch then as we grow and as he takes us forward into the plans that he has for us. All right, second motivation that we need to prioritize in our lives. The second desire that we need is we need to desire relationship over environment. Relationship over environment. Again, this builds off of the last point. We need to desire relationship over environment. And don't get me wrong, I love environment, right? Environment's an important thing to me. I love a good environment. It's awesome to go to a, a great place. And I told you just a couple of weeks ago, environment's important to me. I went out for dinner with Victoria, went to a nice restaurant, and I wanted to leave the restaurant because I didn't like the color that the wall was painted in the restaurant, okay? I know the issue is with me. It is not with the restaurant, okay? Pray for me, please, church. And because uh, the environment actually ma- makes a really big difference to me. I love interior design. I, I mean, uh, I read blogs about it. I read magazines. I, you know, I 
go on Pinterest and look at this kind of stuff all day. You can ask me who my favorite furniture designer is, and I have a name that I could tell you, okay? Like, I love environment. I love creating a great environment. I love creating a great environment at home and, and you know, designing a space and creating a space. And the environment is awesome. But if we don't have any relationships to enjoy that environment with, then who cares? What are we doing it for? What are we building it for? What's the, what, who cares? We need to desire relationship over environment. Environment means nothing compared to relationship. If all we desire is environment, but we don't desire relationship with God, then we're missing out on so much. You know, so often we can have like an if you build it, they will come field of dreams kind of mentality when it comes to environment that says if we pursue and build the perfect place, then God will just automatically be there, no problem. You know, some Christians desire an environment that is um, highly liturgical. Some others would desire an environment of contemporary worship services. Others chase down revival, again, thinking that proximity to God's power will result in proximity to God. And listen, if we truly trust in God and if we believe in him and we have uh, intimacy with him, then environments can encourage our relationship with him. But no environment inherently has the power to bring us near to God if we don't desire to draw near to him in our hearts. We need to desire relationship with him. It would be like Victoria and I going on a date to a nice restaurant, not the one that we almost walked out of, but going to a nice restaurant, nice fancy dinner, you know, candles are lit, uh, uh, waiter's wearing a tuxedo, uh, there's like a jazz trio playing in the corner, lights down low, beautiful place. It's, uh, you, you know, just an incredible, incredible romantic environment. And listen, if Victoria and I, because we do have a great relationship, the environment can actually foster and grow that relationship. It's wonderful. We can have an awesome time. But if a couple were to go into this type of an environment, you know, the nicest, fanciest, most beautiful, romantic re restaurant that exists and sit down, but if there's a level of distrust and if there's a level of distance and if there's a level of I don't want this and I don't want to have intimacy or relationship with you, then the environment itself is not actually enough to bring people together into relationship. It's not going to do it on its own. So instead of desiring an environment, we need to desire a relationship with Jesus. We need to draw near to him wherever, whenever, by the way. Wherever it is that you find yourself, you can call out to him and have an experience with him like nowhere else. You know, maybe it's just in your bedroom. Maybe it's just at your job. Maybe it's just in your school. I don't know where it is. But I want to encourage you to be the kind of person that desires relationship with Jesus wherever you are. Don't just say, I'm going to be a Christian when I come into the environment of church or when I go into the environment of my connect group. That's not enough. It's not about environment, it's about relationship. When we have relationship with Jesus, we are always in relationship with him. Wherever we are, we can have an encounter and an experience with Jesus Christ because we actually have relationship with him. If all we desire is the next greatest ex environment, then, hey, we just find ourselves popping around to whatever the coolest thing is that pops up, right? It's like, oh, that thing has a cool LED screen. Oh, that thing has a cool whatever. That thing has a cool this. That thing is a cool that. And listen, yeah, maybe we can do that with, like, you know, cafes and stuff like that, whatever. You know, the new, newest, coolest cafe comes up, boom, everybody moves there. Another one opens up, boom, everybody moves there, whatever. Because we, 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 we pursue the environment of that place. But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, let's not pursue environments, but let's actually pursue relationship and desire relationship with Jesus. That's why, by the way, as a church, you know, we can gather here at the Inn of Waterloo. And it's not about the environment, but it's actually about relationship with Jesus in this place. What an incredible thing that is. It's why we can gather at Maxwell's. It's why we can gather at Lions Hall. 
you know, we don't have to gather in any certain type of building or anything like that. But it's actually as we gather here and gather around the name of Jesus and we're in relationship with him, that's where his presence is. And that's where he's going to move in powerful ways. It's an incredible thing. And God desires relationship with you. You know, Christ has already done all the hard work. He, he's done it all. He did it on the cross and he made that relationship possible. All that it requires of you is that you would believe in him. And as Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, that we would trust in him with all our hearts. Being in relationship with Jesus, it's the greatest thing that you can desire. And heaven on earth is really the inexpressible joy that passes our understanding. That comes from knowing him and trusting him. My third point this morning, third thing that we need to desire, that we need to prioritize when it comes to our desire, is we need to desire God's reward over human recognition. We've got to desire God's reward over human recognition. You know, in today's world, we really have an ability to curate exactly what we want our public persona to look like. And we do this all the time on, on social media, you know, where uh, uh, we get to choose what it is that we want to post. And so oftentimes we post the highlights of what's going on in our lives. And we just hope that, you know, people will be impressed by what we do. And ultimately, we hope that they will click that little heart button, the like button, and we will have that little dopamine release in our brain. And will keep us coming back. And it feels wonderful. And, and it's amazing. But we got to ask ourselves, what's our desire? What do we desire? You know, here's something I'm guilty of. Again, if, if Victoria and I do something nice, if we go out somewhere nice, again, I'm just going to continue on the restaurant theme. If we go out to a nice restaurant somewhere, uh, you know, I, I always am like, I want to post about this, right? I want people to know that we're going out somewhere nice. I want people to see just how awesome this place is. I want people to know. And so, you know, I'll do that in the restaurant. Boom, click, take a picture of Victoria. Uh, go ahead and post it, you know dinner uh, with my favorite person in the world, hashtag married up, hashtag uh, steak, hashtag lucky Luke, something like that. I don't know. Uh, and uh, I'll do that. And it's like, hey, what's my desire for doing that, right? Like, why, why am I posting this? What's my motivation? And all too often, the desire and the motivation, if I can be honest, is to be noticed in the eyes of other people is to get the recognition of others and, and that they would see what we're doing and think, wow, that looks really awesome. And I noticed this at work in my life because the other day I went to McDonald's and strangely I had no desire to post about my trip to McDonald's at all. I'm like, what's going on here, right? Like, I, it, it's such a, it's funny how McDonald's has changed as you become an adult, right? Like, uh, as a kid, you say, like, I can't believe we're eating at McDonald's, right? And as an adult, you say the same thing. I can't believe that we're eating at McDonald's. And it's funny how the shift takes place in our lives. When I was a kid, if my parents told me we were going to McDonald's, it was like going to Disney World, okay? It was like the best thing. I was going to get a Happy Meal. I was going to get a toy. I was excited. It was the best thing ever if we could go to McDonald's. It was wonderful. Now, if we have to go to McDonald's, Victoria and I are in the car. We're like, oh, shoot, we don't have any food at home. Let's just stop in. Do we have to stop in? This is terrible. I don't even want to stop in. I don't want to go to McDonald's. I don't know what's going on. And sometimes, you know, you go to McDonald's, and I don't know about you, but it's like you hope nobody sees you there, right? <laughs> it's like it's like become like a shameful thing. It's like, you know, just get in. Uh, I love to have like the screens. I don't even have to talk to somebody in McDonald's anymore. Just like order on the screen and get in, get out. It's the opposite when you go somewhere nice. You get dressed up. You look good. You're like, I really hope we run into somebody tonight. And they see us out looking so good. It's wonderful. But it's funny how there are these different things. You know, it's so often what we do, we do with the hope of being recognized by other people and Listen, it's fun to get dressed up and go somewhere and post about it. There's nothing actually all that wrong about that. Go ahead. 
Go ahead and post about, you know, the great things that you're doing in your life. Don't feel totally bad about that. But if your only motivation to do that thing in the first place is that you're doing that so that you can post about it and brag to people in your life, then perhaps you need to just check your motivation and check what your desire actually is. I love what Jesus teaches in Matthew 6. Where he says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received their, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. you know, Jesus goes on to say the same thing about prayer, and he says the same thing about fasting. He says, pray in private. And your father who sees you will reward you. And fast in private so that your father who sees everything will reward you. You know, I wonder this morning, what is it that you do when nobody sees? Who are you willing to be when the eyes of the world are not pointed in your direction? What is your heart's motivation? Is your desire to have the eyes of the world look your way? Or do you desire to have the eyes of Christ look your way? What is it? Because what we do in private really defines who we are in public. You know, the hypocrites that Jesus refers to here, they are the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, who were doing all these spiritual practices. They were giving to the needy. They were praying. They were fasting. You know, perhaps to the eyes of the people around them, people would have said, oh, that's amazing. Look at what they do. That's great. The problem is they were not pursuing a Godward, heavenward motivation, but they were pursuing an inward motivation that gave them greater recognition for themselves. And Jesus urges us, don't act like these people. Their desire was not to point people towards God. Their desire was to point people towards themselves through what they did. And so Jesus calls these people hypocrites. And the word hypocrite is used by Jesus many times throughout the Gospels. And the term hypocrite in Greek, it actually refers to an actor. Somebody who was an actor, you know. But it came to mean somebody who practices deceit. And interestingly, I read this week that it's very clear that it was Jesus alone who brought this term and the corresponding character trait into the moral vocabulary of the Western world. Jesus was the one who, who brought that. And Palestine in Jesus' day had numerous theaters. Sometimes we think that, you know, Jesus walked around in the middle of the desert and there was nothing anywhere around, right? But actually Jesus was living in a very thriving metropolis. There was a lot going on. There were many, many theaters. There was a large theater located just north of Jesus' hometown in Nazareth that, by the way, scholars likely think it's very possible that Jesus, as a young man and his father, even worked in helping to build that that theater. Theaters were were a very common thing in the day, uh, just as they are for us today. So when Jesus used the term hypocrite, the crowd knew exactly what he was talking about. He was using imagery that was very familiar to his audience. Jesus used the term to call out the fakeness, the acting that the religious leaders of his day were doing. And this is something that we really must reckon with in our own lives today. And we have to ask ourselves, is there a difference between our face to the world and our person before Christ? You know, it's, it's, it's too often that as Christians we get more concerned with how the world views us and how God views us. And so we find ourselves compromising on our true values. And we do this in order to gain greater public recognition. And we, we wonder, you know, is it even worth being a good person if nobody's watching? Like, is it even worth me doing this good thing if nobody sees about it? Like, am I even going to do this for this person if I can't post about it on my social media and show everybody how awesome I am? It's like this, you know, if a tree falls in a forest, does it make a sound kind of thinking in our lives, right? Or like 2019 version, like Pixar, it didn't happen kind of thing, you know? And, and so we, we wonder this in our lives sometimes. And it's important that when we do, we have to ask, what's our desire? 
as humans, our desire for respect and reputation, they, they really drive us in so many ways. But if we're not careful, it will continually drag us into self-righteousness. And it'll get, drag us into this kind of self-righteousness that Jesus talks about with the Pharisees, even in Matthew 23, 5, when he says, everything they do is for show. Everything they do. And if we're honest with ourselves, we probably desire the eyes of other people. You know, we, we like recognition. We like public reward. We like bragging rights. We love the puffing up of our credentials and resume. We love to show off. So often we have this, if we've got it, flaunt it kind of mentality. And while all these things can be nice and it can be a great confidence builder, uh, certainly, and maybe even a really deserved reward, Jesus gives us this guiding principle at the outset of Matthew 6, 1. This says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose your reward from your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we should necessarily hide our good deeds. Uh, please understand, that's not his point. He's not just saying that everything we do has to be done in private. There's nothing inherently wrong with being known. And in fact, as we desire the upward call of God on our lives, people will take notice of that. The issue that Jesus is getting at here is one of our intent. He's talking about what is the purpose in doing what we do. See, we shouldn't ask ourselves the question, am I seen doing a good deed? But we have to ask ourselves the question, am I doing a good deed in order to be seen? There is a massive difference. What's your desire? When we do a good deed in o only in order to be seen by other people, that's because we're actually seeking the reward of what can be given by other people, which is their recognition. And so God responds to our expectations and our intentions accordingly. And he allows us to just have the recognition and the esteem of other people. God says, feel free, have their recognition, it's all yours. But then we wonder why the recognition of other people is not enough to sustain us and satisfy our souls and we're left wanting for more. But on the other hand, if we desire to do what we do unto God alone, if our desire is for him, then he responds accordingly to our expectations and we are filled with more of him. And this is, our li li this is living our lives with an audience of one. Not living and doing and playing to the audience of the world around us, but what we do, our words and our actions, who we are when nobody else is watching. These are the things that we do, that we do, and they reflect our desire to glorify God with our lives and make his name famous. And this audience of one mentality applies to all areas of our lives. Whether we're, I'm up here preaching, whether you're at work, whatever it is that you might be doing. Are you motivated to do what you do for the reward of humans, or are you doing it for the reward of of Jesus. We need to remember the words of Paul as he writes in Colossians 3:17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love that scripture says that as we do these things in private, not seeking the recognition of other people that God sees us and rewards us. Because the reward that God talks about here is actually more of himself. You know, we secretly wish, I think, as we read this, oh, God's going to reward us. Okay, maybe this is a roundabout way of still actually duping God into getting the recognition of other people, right? We think, okay, if we do this, God's going to reward me by giving me fame and status and a million followers on Instagram or something like that. But that's not the case. I really think that the reward that God gives can be found in Matthew at the end of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says that if we would listen to these words and if we would put into practice what he is talking about, then it's like we're building our house upon solid rock. So that no matter what tries to come against us in life, we'll not have the power to take us down because we can stand firm in the name of Jesus. And that's a pretty incredible reward. And not only that, but I think that we will see the words that Jesus teaches just a chapter, uh, just, a, just slightly after in this, in Matthew 6. 
that when he teaches us to pray in our lives, I think that we'll see that come to pass. That as we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I really believe that as we incline our hearts towards heaven, as we desire intimacy and relationship with Christ, as we desire, as we desire his recognition more than the recognition of other people, that we will see his kingdom come in our lives, his peace, his goodness, and his joy, that we would experience life and joy to the full right here today. We would experience that right here and right now, and that his will will be done in our lives. This is how I long to live my life. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life according to the will of God, walking in his favor, in his provision, living according to his calling, making an impact on the lives of those around me, not so that they would recognize me in any way, but so that God would be glorified through what it is that I do, that they would be able to see Christ in me, the hope of glory, and that they too would incline their hearts heavenward to the upward call of God in their lives, that God would be glorified. So this week, I want to encourage you, incline your heart towards heaven. Take a step back. Ask yourself what your desire is in life. Ask what your motivation is. And I just want to encourage you, every single step of the way, perhaps it means you need to wake up in the morning and you need to incline your heart towards God first thing you do. Maybe you need to read the Bible, read his word. Maybe you need to just take some, some time praying. I've been doing this thing lately where I wake up and the first thing I do is I just say, God, use me today. And it's been incredible to see over the last little while how God has put opportunities in my life where he's actually wanted to use me. It's amazing. And I really think it comes from such a simple inclining of my heart towards God on a daily basis. I want to encourage us to do that, church. I really believe that as we do, we're going to see his name glorified in our lives. And we're going to see other people incline their hearts towards him as well. Hey, why don't we stand up to our feet? Thank you for watching. Again, if you were impacted by this message in any way, send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. You can also visit slatechurch.com and fill out one of our online connect cards. We would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. As well, you can stay connected with us by following us at Slate Church on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.